Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks. Now, today we unpack the healthcare sector. That's Netcare, Life Healthcare, and Aspen Pharmacare. And that's with Vessel Yubad from Oyster Catcher Investments. Vessel, it's always a pleasure. Good afternoon to you. No, it's nice, nice being here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Vessel. Let's talk about the sector in the first half um, of 2023. Uh, what performance have we seen from these counters? Yeah, so I mean, the, the three main stocks there um, are Aspen, Life Healthcare, and Netcare. Aspen being a pharmaceutical uh, manufacturer and, and distributor, um, they were the best performer in the sector for the first half, mm. up around about 40% year to date. Um, and the big reason there being they've got excess capacity that they say they're going to fill. So there's a little bit of a, I suppose, statistical anomaly in the, in the performance as well. Mm. They did dip down a bit towards the end of last year. So there was a bit of a rebound in Jan and so on. Um, then we have Life Healthcare, which increased, I think, around about 23%-ish year to date. The big performance there was driven by um, the announcement that they might sell their, their UK business, um, as well as potential value unlock or potential earnings coming from a business called LMI, which coincidentally is also a little bit more like a pharmaceutical business, more towards uh, the Aspen kind of business model. Um, and then the last we have is Netcare, which is slightly down year to date, uh, the underperformer there. And I suppose that it's a pure hospital play um, on the South African stock market. And I suppose a little bit impacted by the concerns around NHI. Mm. So let's talk about uh, these stocks, Vessel. Uh, uh, maybe we will start with Netcare, uh, which has been a bit of an underperformer to date. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're saying, it's purely a hospital business. In my mind, um, you know, we still should see some sort of pent-up demand post-COVID-19 uh, really boosting uh, this uh, business. But we're not quite seeing that, are we? Yeah. So uh, the original thesis was behind hospital stocks, I suppose, going into COVID, that they would be a lot more resilient. Uh, turns out with COVID, because you, it was so infectious, they had to have kind of maximum amount of people within the hospital, so your occupancies were, went down. And for all intents and purposes, hospitals operate like hotels. Uh, you want to get as many people in the beds as possible, and that's how you drive uh, profit. So with COVID coming in, it impacted the hospital groups a lot more. And subsequent to that, everybody expected as COVID alleviated for the occupancies to come back into the hospitals and profits to return back to normal levels. Now, since then, we've had other pressures. We've had load shedding. We've had inflation, high inflation. We've got a big nursing shortage uh, in South Africa. Um, So there's been quite a few uh, pressures on the cost line. Uh, of the hospital groups, and that kind of has put pressure on margins. Now, just to put it a bit into a global context, a context, our hospitals are fairly profitable uh, relative to global hospitals. So the argument will be that longer term, there's no reason why a hospital in South Africa should be more profitable than a hospital in any other global environment. So you do expect a little bit of margin pressure, I suppose, over time, um, as we just get back to kind of uh, global levels on that. Um, And I suppose that's where we are today. Everybody's still expecting the hospital groups to to get a bit more top line growth as we recover occupancies um, from pre-COVID. They haven't recovered as quickly as we 
previously expected. But I think within the next year, we should be on the next full year results, we should roughly be be at those pre-COVID occupancies. But then we need the costs to come down. And our Nedcase specifically also increased their costs on strategic initiatives. Um, they have been digitizing a lot of their services, which will save costs in the long term, but unfortunately it's a cost in the in the near term. That is coming to an end, so you should see a little bit of, of uptick in margin, but still below where, where they were pre-COVID. I'd like to actually uh, juxtapose that against Life Healthcare, which seems to be a very similar model, except uh, lots more colour happening there uh, with uh, Life Healthcare acquisitions um, and disposals, vessels. Let's talk about that. This is very different approaches here um, that the two companies have to their sector. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So when you look at Life Healthcare, there's small nuances in the in the South African businesses that do make them different. Um, but for all intents and purposes, the drivers of the two South African businesses are very, very similar. Uh, life healthcare was just a little bit underpenetrated in the lowest schemes. So when you go, when you take out medical aid and you take a cheaper option, they limit you to the network hospitals that you can go to. Um, life healthcare was a little bit underexposed there and they started taking up those scheme offers which usually come at a slightly lower margin, but it lifts your volumes. So you're trying to to get as many people into the hospitals as possible. That was the one South African or difference in the South African business, but that's only the South African leg. For all intents and purposes, they're very, very similar. When you look at the rest of Life Healthcare, you've got uh, AMG business, which is the international business. And it is effectively a scanning business, so radiology. Uh, that's the easiest, most simplest way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a couple of what they call cyclotrons where they produce uh, certain things that you need to get injected with before they take a scan for them to detect certain things. It's a little bit more technical, mm-hmm. but that business has really been struggling. So they, they bought that business, I think it was about six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and it hasn't ever produced the returns that they actually wanted. They always had this idea that you've got this, the scanner and if you have three people through the scanner, you will make X amount of profit. But if you can push 10 people through the scanner, your profits should be significantly higher because your costs are fixed. Now, what has happened is we've never seen that come through. And now there's other issues with it. You have in the UK, as business is predominantly UK based, the UK, Ireland and Italy. Um, but they have a, within the UK, they've got the NHS, very similar to what we want to do with NHI. And the NHS is the, effectively the, the, the determining factor of what they can sell the scans for. It's not, it's not, they can sell it for more, but the NHS is the biggest purchaser. So you kind of stick to those prices and they haven't gotten the price increases yet. So recently we will see some inflationary adjustments, but that has been a key, I suppose, factor to them not getting the, the revenue that they needed. And then within the, I think, Coincidentally, they bought a little business within the AMG business when they got it called LMI, Life Molecular Imaging. Mm-hmm. And that business is a more a pharma type business. And they own what is called a amyloid tracer, a Neuroseek. It's one of three global amyloid tracers, which is effectively injected into you if they want to detect Alzheimer's. So they inject you with the substance, put you in a scanner, and they will be able to verify um, if you've got Alzheimer's. Now, there wasn't ever a use for it. Alzheimer's would, prior to, I suppose, all of this, you would go to a, a psychologist and they would have a little 
question and answer sheet and kind of determine the probability of you having Alzheimer's or some sort of dementia. Mm -hmm. um, but now Biogen and Eli Lilly have come out with products that can potentially treat or slow down the progression of Alzheimer's significantly. Uh, these have gone through phase three trials. They have now been approved and made available to the public. And it does seem as though the US will most likely pay for these treatments which means that you will most likely start seeing quite good uptake in the NeuroSeq product. The question now for the market is how much they will be able to charge for these products, how many of these um, injections or so on will get sold on an annual basis. But yeah, that's, I suppose, the, the difference between the two in a nutshell. It's very interesting uh, because then we bring uh, Aspen in to, uh, you know, the mix here. Now, Aspen, um, of course, uh, they were quite uh, pivotal to South Africa's COVID-19 vaccine rollouts. We have all of these uh, vaccine deals uh, that have uh, come through Vessel. Have they, uh, you know, uh, produced the kinds of returns we thought they would? Or is it a matter of time? So share price returns, yes. Okay. Uh, actual <laughs> profitability returns, not so much. Interesting. Uh, what we what we have had is Aspen's effectively, uh, to give you a quick overview of the business, it's effectively a generics business and distribution business. Think of products like painkillers and over-the-counter type products, a lot of that, um, but a lot of generic business and then a little bit of a sterile business, which is a smaller part of your, your business. And then they've got what is, and I suppose what everybody get, got excited about going through COVID is a manufacturing business. Now, the manufacturing business is very high cost. Um, and unfortunately, they haven't been able to generate decent returns out of it, but they are carrying the costs for it. So in theory, if you start producing anything or manufacturing anything in-house, it should be very profit accretive um, and margin accretive. So I think that's what got the investors excited. Now, when we went into COVID, they had the capacity to actually produce vaccines. Everybody got excited because they got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The returns weren't as high as initially expected, and the vaccine, I suppose, rollout didn't last as long as everybody expected it would. Uh, post that, they moved to different vaccines um, from, I think it was an Indian company uh, that produces or that manufactures vaccines. Now they want to get into the African continent. Aspen thinks that there's about two billion that they can generate off that contract, hopefully, um, but that hasn't been it hasn't been a full reporting cycle yet. So we have to wait and see. And that's about twenty five percent of their their capacity that they can supposedly fill. The other seventy five percent they have made available. They're hoping to get multinationals in and so on. So in theory, you can lift your profit significantly if you can fill the capacity that they have. Now, there's two ways in which they can do it. The one is which that they're already doing, where they're going out trying to get multinationals in and other companies to manufacture vaccines on the African continent. Um, and then the second one is to actually buy companies and just bring the distribution or the, the manufacturing of that business in-house. Um, and I think that is an option that they are considering. The, the company has a very strong balance sheet. They de-levered um, and de-geared quite aggressively uh, over recent years. And I think they're in quite a good position to potentially actually fill that capacity. And I suppose the difference between the Aspen um, numbers and the life healthcare numbers is Aspen management guided quite well to what they think they can generate out of their excess capacity. Whereas I think life healthcare, it's still a very uncertain situation. So investors and management don't want to plug too, too aggressive numbers into the models yet. Mm -hmm. And management haven't really guided to what is actually possible. And I think it's because they don't actually know 
we don't know how big the market for Alzheimer's is going to be. So, I mean, based on these, um, you know, these fundamentals and the conversation we've had today, vessels for retail investors sitting at home was uh, some money to spare. In what order would you uh, buy these stocks? So, I think Aspen and Life Healthcare are very close to the top, okay. um, and I think marginally ahead on our calculations. I think Aspen, and mm -hmm. um, they're after Life Healthcare, and I think Netcare, unfortunately, right at the bottom there, just because they don't have anything that can surprise you on the upside in terms of growth. Mm -hmm. I think there's very few, if growth is gonna surprise to the upside, it might be by a couple of percent. Versus if one of the other two, uh, Aspen or Life Healthcare, get their um, a couple of vaccines into the mix or get their AMG business sold for Life Healthcare, you might get quite an aggressive price move. So I think that's, we'll go Aspen, Life Healthcare, Netcare. Wonderful, Vesson. As we do uh, every time we chat, we have a term of the week that we, uh, you know, help our retail investors understand. This week it is intrinsic value. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So intrinsic value is effectively the value that we as investors calculate, that we think the company is worth. When the share prices deviate from that intrinsic value, and um, that's where we, I suppose, make our money, is we think the company is worth more than what it's trading at. If that is the case, we will buy, like with Aspen or Life Healthcare potentially. Um, but if the if the price is trading at or below the fair value, it's probably a, a share that you either want to sell um, or not own. Obviously, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for your time. It's always a, a pleasure having you on Stock Picks with us. That was Vessel Yuvad from Oyster Catch Investments, and that's your Wednesday edition of Stock Picks.